Welcome to the Soul Space Podcast. Thanks for listening. All right. Welcome, everybody. Uh, you're back with the Soul Space Podcast. Um, this is a big one. Today is a, a big coup as far as I'm concerned because um, I've I've got Frank Sharp and Mike Tegas from ProPublica on the podcast today. And these guys are the lead uh, at the DevOps and uh, web development level at ProPublica. And the reason I asked them on today is um, they just launched uh, a new version of the website. For everybody out there, it looks pretty much identical to what you saw before with maybe some slight changes, but the backside is totally different. Um, the main impetus was to get from Craft 2 to Craft 3. Uh, ProPublica runs on Craft. And uh, so that was a big move, but there's a lot of DevOps uh, sort of tech stack stuff that was really pretty fascinating with how these guys have set this thing up. So, um, Frank, can you say hi to all the friends out there? Hi, everybody. <laughs> Mike, how about you? Hey, y'all. Thanks for having us on. <laughs> so, um, Frank, could you say a little bit about what ProPublica is for those who, those rare people who haven't heard of you? Uh, sure. Uh, ProPublica is a, an online um, investigative journalism um, uh, VR platform. Um, yeah, yeah. Focus. Our uh, focus is on investigative journalism. Um, we've been doing a lot of uh, coronavirus coverage, as have all news orgs the past couple of months. Um, but yeah, the the focus is investigative journalism. You called it a platform, which I think is uh, is an accurate term because, um, I mean, from really early on, we, we've been working with you guys for 12 years, as far as I can tell from my Basecamp install. We started on Expression Engine, um, and we helped you guys build the site when the organization first launched, and we've kind of been a partner um, behind the scenes when you've needed us over the years. Um, Mike, I, I think you were at ProPublica before Frank. Is that accurate? Yeah, I've just, uh, I think, crossed my seventh year anniversary here at ProPublica. Oh, huh. yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, the reason I drew emphasis to the platform idea is, um, and Mike, you can also speak to this question of, it's it's more than just um, investigative journalism and reporting. It's also Data. Like there's a lot of big data crunching and there's a lot of web application development um, that serves the purpose, uh, that serves the mission of the organization. And um, I wonder if, Mike, you could talk a little bit about what what's going on at that level, because you're more than just it's more than just an, an online newspaper or magazine. Yeah. So I originally started at ProPublica um, on the news applications team. So we're the that was the team that um, builds all these like interactive searchable databases that go hand in hand with a lot of our stories um and actually as part of doing that kind of reporting i mean like we'll publish stories about things we find in our data but we also like to publish the raw data you know put it out there searchable for people to use to be able to look up their own doctor look up their own school district um but over the years we've also started adding uh, we have a data store where um, researchers, you know, companies, uh, places they could use the raw data that we've like collected and cleaned up um, through our processes. We can, you know, sell them or give them the data that we've used to do our own reporting. Um, and so it's, it's, it's become like kind of an ecosystem in addition to, yeah, in addition to the reporting, like you were saying. 
how long like how how far into ProPublica's existence um, did that did that work start um, the, the the process of capturing data and um, cleaning it up and making it available to others how early on did that happen I mean I think the idea of like these sprawling news applications and I think I think the news apps term came from ProPublica like way back in the day I mean I think it started oh, that's awesome I think it started like a couple years into the existence of the organization um when i think it was some th- there were some like stories about the 2008 bailout actually um and tracking you know what companies were getting stimulus and stuff like that um you know that was that was those were like early successes in terms of us collecting and cleaning up data and like discovering how useful it is to share that with other people in other places but yeah so it's been oh, it's yeah. been a long time yeah I was looking at your respective um, job titles on the website, and based on the work we've done with you the last few months, the, those titles are not accurate. <laughs> you guys are doing a lot more than those titles suggest, from what I can see. Um, I mean, basically keeping the lights on with with regard to the site itself. Um, there's a there's a number of other uh, sort of IT support staff who keep the website up and running, but you guys are our main contacts over there. Um, maybe you could say a little bit more about. Um, just how many humans it takes to keep a website like this up and running uh, and stable every day. Uh, So that can be somewhat of a tough uh, question because uh, as Mike was mentioning, um, along with sort of the main website, um, we maintain a sort of uh, universe of, you know, dozens and dozens of, um, applications you know news applications and standalone graphics and uh, things like that um but yeah i think mike you would probably have a better idea of both uh the the scope of that news application world as well as how many humans are involved in its upkeep it's not because like the upkeep i've actually never been quite sure how we keep doing it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um yeah it's funny because like uh Fran points out like i think for our news applications so a lot of them are built in you know ruby on rails some of them are built in python django um i think we have like 40 projects that you know still exist and still have to be hosted um and it you know it, it's become kind of a job in itself to keep all that stuff running which is kind of why my job has shifted a bit from you know from making those uh interactives to like kind of doing more and more devops as my job has evolved um but yeah i mean i think it's like it's honestly between like me and frank a few other people who make up our platform team um the like handful of people who work on production and then i guess it's just like house it which is a couple people plus a contract uh you know contractor company which I, well, you know, with regard to like twenty four seven uptime, who 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 walks around with the pager, or who shares that duty, um, in case you know a, a, the the site goes offline? Like, how how do you handle that, or does it ever go offline? I mean, I think it's basically me and Frank at this point still. <laughs> yeah, we have a. Um, I think that we've we've got uh, s- several sets of eyes that are keeping an eye on that pager. Um, uh, but yeah, I think Mike and I are are mostly the ones that will um, react uh, and and take action 
yeah. when, when those those go off. Well, we'll get into we'll get into to the backstory on how you have things architected so you don't have to worry as much. It seems like it's it's a pretty stable system based on the kind of traffic spike you've seen since the pandemic really kicked off. Um, like what what are those traffic patterns now? What was the change in your in your traffic levels from that, Frank? Um, early or relatively early on, uh, in the pandemic, at least for the, the U S, um, we had a couple of stories, uh, that really, really took off, uh, like wildfire and were, um, easily the, the largest trafficked, uh, stories we had ever had, um, and f- from that point, uh, both our publishing volume uh, in these last months, uh, as well as the sort of baseline um, traffic that a given story gets, ha- have gone up, resulting in generally we're doing about double what we were doing, you know, um, you know, six months ago. Um, so, if you know, if you were graph, if you graph that from the time the website started. Is it a clear spike on the graph or, you know, is, is that, is that marking a progression that you're seeing from like the 2008 meltdown? Maybe that was a big jump for you guys. What does that look like? You know, Mike could probably speak better to uh, the longer historical trend. Um, Mm -hmm. But for my part, I know that, you know, from the Trump election, uh, there was a big, uh, a bit of a bump and there was a sort of new baseline following trump election and it seems like you know this uh this uh, pandemic period has also proven to sort of give be a lift as well as a uh, what seems to be a new baseline um yeah following the, the surge in traffic what do you think mike i mean over the years it's been like you know like kind of like that upward curve hockey stick sort of looking thing i mean like we we the growth definitely exploded after immediately like during and after the 2016 election. But um, even with that said, I I don't think anything's really prepared us for how insanely large our traffic has gotten since the coronavirus pandemic started becoming a thing. And, you know, the reporting that we've been doing and that other places have been doing have started revolving around that. I mean, like we've had probably like, I mean, definitely two of our top traffic days have happened over you know the past few weeks if not more i haven't looked i haven't looked in a while um one of the themes of this podcast is just this idea of the the whole point of a website is the goal is to make it reliable as far as i'm concerned um and that pretty much applies to any website i can think of if if it's an e-commerce website then the goal is to have um revenue reliably flowing through the website if it's a website like yours, uh, you guys are a nonprofit organization, but you still have to keep the lights on. That the money still needs to flow. So, the the reliability idea is how how can you architect a system that can handle those kinds of traffic loads over time, especially when you don't necessarily know what the next gigantic news story or cycle is going to look like, and when when you're going to be hit by that. So. Um, that's that's why it's so great that I can have you guys on this podcast is we can get into the specifics of how you've architected this system so that it can handle the kind of load you're under. Um, you know, we, we noticed when the pandemic really started to kick in and your traffic started to, to rise, 
um, it, it didn't appear that your, your infrastructure was under strain. So there's some changes that you guys made architecturally that um, really prepared you to handle this load and like barely notice. In fact, it, it's, it's so well put together that we, right when this pandemic hit, is exactly when we were ready to launch the new Craft3 site. That's when we had basically completed the work and we were wrapping up QA and we were ready to go live. And uh, Frank, I remember David come to you and say, do we, you know, should we hold off? Should we wait? And I think you were like, eh, I don't think so. I think we could probably go live. Should be okay. Right? <laughs> like, what is going on over here? I got to get these guys on the podcast and find out what's what's happening. So um, here's, here's a good goal to to have here to get some questions answered. I, by the end of this podcast, I want to know, I want to have the following phrases defined. So I want to know what a Baconator is. I want to know what baking a page is. And I want to know what KV is. And I think there's some other terms that I'm forgetting, but there's those kind of capture some of the architecture that's making this thing so reliable. So, um, and this is a shout out to some friends of mine over at Happy Cog, um, who I think were responsible for this Baconator tool that you guys use. So can we just talk, talk in broad terms about the overall architecture of um, where the pages are served from, where they originate from? Uh, you know, are you on AWS? Are you on Google Cloud? Like what's what's going on there? Maybe Frank, you could lead off on that. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, just to give a, a, a very broad overview of uh, the stack. Um, we do use, uh, we leverage AWS uh, for uh, a good portion of it. Um, all of our uh, servers and databases and things, uh, that's where they live. Um, uh, in addition, we have uh, a caching layer, a, a CDN that we use, uh, uh, Cloudflare. Um, and we leverage some of their um, uh, serverless um, uh, workers, uh, they're called, uh, to uh, act as a sort of reverse proxy uh, uh, for us. Okay, so the, what do the workers do? Uh, so the, the workers actually serve the website. Um, so Cloudflare uh, sits in front of AWS and um, receives the request for a page. Um, and uh, we've built out some some logic, as you mentioned. Um, Happy Cog uh, designed the system uh, for us, which has been uh, really great. Um, so the the worker accepts the request and checks uh, uh, a cache store that also sits at Cloudflare. Uh, it's called Workers KV. Uh, that was the other term that you mentioned there. Um, uh, which is a simple like key value cache store. Um, and so more or less our, our website sits uh, in that key value uh, data store uh, and the worker itself intercepts a request and will check that cache store to see um, if uh, the page is there and if the cache is valid and if so, uh, it will serve that page directly. So on most requests, are the AWS stack is not uh, invoked. Okay. Um, so a little backstory for the people listening. Uh, there's probably a handful of people who have used Cloudflare a little bit. Maybe some have not touched it ever. 
it's a really great resource for a web developer. It's a CDN, but it also packs um, uh, a lot of tools for protecting against all kinds of nefarious activity like DDoS attacks and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know how long ago it was that they rolled out this KV capability, this key value store uh, ability. It's relatively new to me. I haven't played with it, but um, out of the box, you can get Cloudflare for free. You can point your name servers at it, traffic will route through it, and then you can turn on different types of caching rules, um, and Cloudflare will cache your whatever you tell it to, full pages or just CSS, H, um, uh, JavaScript, uh, images, and so forth, and it'll distribute it across its, um, its CDN nodes around the globe. Now, um, that's all well and good, but if Cloudflare decides to invalidate a cache, maybe it, it says, ah, that page is too old, I'm going to take it out of the cache, then the next time traffic comes there, that, um, that, tra that request has to go all the way to the origin server or, or tell Cloudflare to go to the origin server, grab it, save it in the cache, distribute it across the CDN. So hopefully it's there. Sometimes it's not. If it's a high traffic site, then a pretty good chance they're caching everything. But what you guys are talking about is proactively pushing into the Cloudflare key value store um, full pages or components of pages or what's being stored in there. Um, yeah, right. So you uh, you've rightly point out that this is a, a different uh, a, a, uh, what we're using. In fact, we we leverage both of them. We leverage Cloudflare's sort of their standard uh, cache, which, as you mentioned, can be uh, ephemeral. Um, uh, and uh, so so we leverage both, right? So the uh, worker KV sits in front of the Cloudflare standard caching. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, with the KV value store, it's got um, its own sort of API. And so we can sort of hook into that and and proactively push content to it uh, such that, um, you know, for instance, on uh, a save event inside Craft, inside the CMS, we you know, have hooked onto that event and are proactively writing to the cache on the save um, so that, you know, the newest changes automatically get pushed up uh, and uh, it doesn't take a request coming through the cache to the origin to, to update um, the, the KV cache. This, um, you know, this, this idea of uh, a cache in a CDN globally distributed that's warm you want a warm cache. That's the holy grail. You, that's really what you're seeking. And I mean, we tried a version of this a few years ago where we, we built basically a spider that we would um, distribute across, uh, you know, all the Amazon uh, regions that we cared about for a given website. And that spider would crawl the site and it would basically cause Cloudflare to have a cache, is a cache warmer. But we couldn't do anything about Cloudflare keeping that. Um, that's why this is this system that you have is so cool because you're you're pushing something into a cache, um, and it's it's a key value store. Do you have expiration rules, or do you tell it to expire something, or how does that work? Um, yeah, so we, um, in fact, we've been uh, playing around with with these bits uh, actually more recently. But yes, we do have. There is an idea. Uh, there, there is an idea of a, um, uh, a, a an expiration or a TTL uh, for um, 
a, a given key value uh, in cash. Um, and so it's stored along with the, you know, the actual content of the page. We stick some metadata up there too, such as when uh, we updated that cache, uh, what the expiration of that cache should be based on some, some rules, um, uh, as well as a handful of other sort of bits of information to help uh, troubleshoot issues with it. Okay. Um, so then when, when you say the Baconator is going to do something, that's this system of, of workers and KV storage, um, and what other components make up that system? Right. So uh, as we have spoken about, there is the worker itself, um, the, the uh, reverse proxy uh, that sort of uh, catches the requests. There is the, um, uh, the uh, cache store. So we're using KV, uh, workers KV in this instance for that. Okay. Um, the other components are the... Um, there's uh, a bit in the CMS itself, so we sort of mentioned that in passing. So we have a plugin in Craft that, uh, among a couple other things, hooks onto the save event and makes sure that when you save, your uh, content is getting pushed to KV, or when you, you know, when a new uh, story goes live, uh, that content gets pushed to to KV. Uh, and then the last component, uh, or the last two components, I should say, are um, the idea uh, of a, a queue uh, and a queue worker. Um, so we have like uh, a queue, uh, which is more or less uh, um, uh, just a listing of pages which need to be regenerated. Uh, and certain things, there are, there are different mechanisms for adding things to the queue. Uh, for instance, the reverse proxy can add items to the queue when it sees that a cache has been requested and it is expired. Okay. Right? So it will, if it sees that the cache is expired, it will serve the cache. So that's, that person will get a slightly stale page. And then it will go ahead and queue up that page to be regenerated by the queue worker. Um, and the queue worker is sort of pretty simple uh, bit. All it does is sort of uh, pulls things off the queue and requests them from craft, from, from your CMS, grabs the HTML and puts it back in KV. Awesome. Um, so, Mike, when, when we transitioned ProPublica from being on Expression Engine to Craft, that was Craft 2 that we launched you guys on, um, that was one of those times where, like almost every website launch I've been involved in, you flip a switch, and all of a sudden you're routing traffic to the new system. Mm -hmm. And when we did that, it fell over. Um, there were some some processes that kicked off with Craft that we um, that my team didn't plan for in advance. So we had a serious problem with just meeting the even baseline traffic needs. Um, but this launch was really different. You know, usually you're launching a website of any size and you're saying, okay, everybody ready? Yep. Everybody signed off. Okay. We're going, I'm flipping the switch now, pointing to the new IP address and then all the action happens. But this one was really different. Um, and that's one of the best things to talk about right now is, um, what I think at some point I asked the question, okay, how do we flip the switch and when do we do it? And Frank, you said, well, um, we, we don't have to launch the entire site at once. I mean, we could launch a section. You know, run it off the new system and let everything else run off the old system. And I said, "What the? 
what what are you talking what is that so maybe we should talk about that piece because that's a really big advancement as far as i'm concerned in this whole reliability question of how do you launch reliably we launch a little bit at a time just do it gradually so how did you do that how did that work yeah it's kind of interesting because um you know the baconator like this whole cash layer thing uh you know, we implemented it and launched that when we were on Craft 2. Um, but the side effect of, you know, like basically what, it, what it's doing at that worker level is it's, it's some, uh, you know, it's JavaScript that runs like at the CDN edge that is basically, I mean, basically it's our website now, right? It's like our, our code that is on AWS is generating the web pages, sure. But like the thing that responds to people you know, people's browsers and those HTTP requests coming in is actually this code that runs on Cloudflare. Um, and so when we were putting in Baconator and we were, when we were transitioning from Craft 2 to Craft 3, we were using this, you know, this worker layer and you can, you can handle all the routing in this, you know, this JavaScript code basically. And so we could decide in that code, all right, these sections can get routed to our new stuff. These sections can fall through and still be served by our old system. Um, and it, it's just, it's kind of incredible just because we can, you know, we can run code outside of like our normal environment sort of at the very far edge and then decide over there at the CDN how things get routed. So we're not just like constrained to DNS anymore. We, you know, we actually have control over like the requests themselves, you know, as, as, you know, with as much or as little code as we want controlling that logic. Yeah. That's such a leap forward for, for our type of work. Um, because it, it really dials back the pressure on, on a launch. It dials back the pressure on all, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Just, um, wh where is the point of failure? Well, you've distributed the point of failure across the CDN node, a bunch of, a bunch of nodes. Um, which is uh, which is a great a great idea. When did that launch? Like, when did you flip the switch on that? On uh, like putting in on putting in Baconator, or like when we were going to Craft Three. Well, this uh, not the Craft Three part, but the 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 part where your where your route your your traffic cop is this little JavaScript snippet running out on the edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was, that was like the Baconator launch. I guess when did we fully go go into that, Frank? Was that like January? Earlier than that? I think so. It was like such a long, you know, si similarly to the <laughs> Craft 3 rollout, we did the sort of the initial Baconator rollout was also a section by section thing, but much, much slower over the course of probably two months plus um but yeah i think you're right mike it i think we we did the final sort of sections um in january early early in the year i think yeah and then like we had we had code running in workers so basically we were already able to like decide how to route things i guess when we started deploying it which yeah as frank said was like a couple months before we finished deploy you know finish moving everything over to that system um this is um i like to break these podcasts into chunks like episodes this is a good place to take a break and um 
when we come back in this next segment, um, we can talk a little bit more about the KV piece, but um, also get into the get into the um, the AWS side of things, and you know, to talk a little bit about how extensively you guys use Docker and under what conditions you do, and and that sort of thing. Um, there's still a lot of sort of DevOps kind of architecture pieces that I think are fascinating to talk about. You've been listening to the Soul Space Podcast. 